Welcome to N20XX. This series takes the listener, year by year, into the future. From 2040 to 2195. If you like emerging tech, ecotech, futurism, permaculture, apocalyptic survival scenarios, and disruptive science, sit back and enjoy short stories that showcase my research into how the future may play out. Material science becomes the low-hanging fruit. Machine learning and quantum computing revolutionize material science. Traditionally, most material science was done in the lab. Chemists tried different combinations and exposures to discover new materials, and tested them to find their properties. Thomas Edison famously tried thousands of different filaments inside bulbs to find the filament that burned the longest before burning out. It took him and a team of 40 over a year. To find the best material, cotton fiber burned to carbon. Machine scientists can now simulate thousands of different material states in one day and estimate what properties they may have. If Edison had the tools available in 2046, he could have optimized his light bulb in a day, maybe two. Not only can AI find beneficial materials, but it can also optimize how that material is made, reducing the time it takes to produce it on an industrial scale. New materials make it to market faster. Batteries store more and last longer. Dentists apply coats to teeth that stop tooth decay. Metals seem old-fashioned compared to polyfoils which don't corrode and resist wear and tear nearly three times longer. Composites that withstand the pressures of deep-sea environments are light and non-brittle. Noise shielding and insulation improve. Cost of production lowers. This episode will focus on only some of the new material innovations, composites used in deep sea structures, better filters, and a new form of rocket fuel. Long chain rocket fuels store more energy and less mass. Previous rocket fuels utilized simple chemical reactions. The new fuels bound up energy in more complex molecules that release energy in a two-part reaction. The first reaction releases enough heat to drive the second reaction. The potentials for the first and second reactions are bound up in the same molecule. Not only did AI and quantum computers help find the molecule for the long-chain rocket fuel, but they also helped find the processing it takes to make the fuel. It could have taken decades to discover how to make the fuel on an industrial scale, instead, it took a couple of years. Off the coast of California, Carlos stands on the deck of the Pandana, a submarine launcher ship fit to handle the open ocean. The deck holds four of the six subs, crane arms lower duckling three, one of the subs, into the water, Carlos, short and in decent shape, steps through a doorway into the pilot's room. Eight others sit at stations chatting or playing through their glasses. Carlos sits at a station, checks that all his controls are active, and dons a VR headset. Outside, Duckling 3 submerges as the cranes pull away. A cable connects Duckling 3 to Pandana. Pandana will feed or retract the cable as needed. At a station, Carlos takes control of Duckling 3 and pilots it into lower depths. Some of the others still chatter, Nancy says, do you have any mustards? Wanda says, hold on, I have two. Nancy says, can I have them? Carlos's thumbs and palms hit the controls. He feels perfectly immersed in piloting Duckling 3. Through its cameras, rays of light and the water light up floating particles. He hits a key to switch his main views to the underside. The ocean bed hasn't come into view yet. His destination shows as a bullseye laid over the video feed. He smells sandwich meat. Someone closes the door, and the air grows still. The intake facility, resting on the seafloor, comes into view. It's larger than the pandana, shaped like a long cylinder, 
The top and sides are lined with circular filters. Carlos asks loudly enough for everyone to hear, is everyone logged on? The chatting stops. The others answer yes. Logged on, affirmative. Carlos says, you can start when you like. Human-sized submersibles fitted with arms, lights, and propellers float away from Duckling 3. Carlos takes his hands off the controls and leans back. His job is to keep Duckling 3 near the intake facility. The others pilot the smaller submersibles. They each lift filter drums out of a cage on top of Duckling and carry them to the intake facility. Each filter would take up a parking space. They replace the filters on the intake facility with the ones they brought over. They replace salt and mineral collection tanks hanging the used ones onto duckling and locking them into place. It takes about two hours to replace all the filters and salt tanks. His team repeats the entire procedure on the same intake facility five times a day, five days a week. They've all gotten so good at it, they've shaved off 40 minutes from how long it takes. The intake facility and 19 others like it are mock-ups, all resting on the continental shelf so close to the shore, you can see LA from the deck of Pandana. The real intake facilities are much further out, resting at the bottom of the continental slope. Pipes come off the real intake facilities. The larger pipes carry fresh water to the shore, and the smaller pipes bring air to the facilities. The high pressure of the deep ocean pushes salt water through the filters. Tanks fill up with fresh water. When a tank is almost full, air is pumped into the tank, and fresh water is pumped out. Most of the heavy lifting of this kind of water filtration is provided by the high pressure of the ocean. Earlier kinds of water filtration took salt water out of the ocean and used great amounts of energy to pressurize the water to push it through filters. By utilizing the water pressure on the ocean floor, much less energy is required. This whole operation is only possible because of new materials that can withstand high pressure. On the real intake facilities, the filters need replacing every year and a half. Carlos and his team are training on the mock-up tanks. He and his team are called scouts, humans who do a task, so that data can be recorded to train a robot to do that task. Every move Carlos and his team initiate through their controls, all video feeds, and pressure sensors on drone hands are all recorded. 3D movement of drone arms removing and attaching filters is all recorded. The real changing of filters on the operational intake facilities are recorded too but those recordings aren't enough. It takes a lot of data to train robots. There are other ways to train robots that don't require humans, but recording humans first is one of the fastest ways to fully autonomous robots. A human needs to do an unfamiliar task only a few times to get good at it. Machine learning requires thousands, often millions of trial runs. Once the machine learning is complete, a robot can perform the task better than a human. Carlos and everyone on his crew know their jobs will end in a few years. Few of them worry about what they'll do next. Some will stay employed by California Fresh to troubleshoot and help with robot maintenance. Some will get new jobs as human scouts completing different tasks, perhaps skydiving, putting away tables and chairs, or cleaning a car interior, as just a few examples. In a neighborhood filled with apartment buildings and empty parking lots, Carlos sits in his one bedroom with his girlfriend Janine. They both wear VR headsets, sitting on the couch. In-game, Carlos helps Janine with her garden in the MMO, massively multiplayer online, called Perfect Neighborhood. He's a visitor in this game. The property they're on in this simulation is hers. It's a hillside overlooking the water, an island a suspended bridge, and mountains in the distance. She also owns the house on the property. The front looks like a one-story, but in the back, it's three stories with lots of big windows and decks. 
He bought a virtual cherry tree for her that he's now helping her plant in the back. She kneels holding the cherry sapling by the hole that he digs with a shovel. He says, who is the neighbor there again? She says, oh, Sheena lives there. I think she's retired IRL. He says, I mean, her house is amazing. She must have spent a lot on it. Janine says, she takes this game a lot more seriously than most of the people around here. Did you know she asked me to do something about my rose bushes in my front yard? She said rose bushes don't quite fit with the Northwest theme. His face grows hot. He says, that's kind of privileged. She says, relax, she's not an asshole. He says, what did you do about the roses? She says, I moved them to the backyard patio my secret place. We had rose bushes in the front yard when I was growing up. Bad grass and roses, he says, and the neighborhood dogs peed on them daily. She laughs, yes. He says, oh honey, I'm getting a call. I'll be back in a second. He and his shovel disappear from the yard. He removes his headset, puts on his AR glasses, and taps on the phone icon floating in front of him. A man's voice says, Carlos Garcia. Carlos says, speaking. He watches his wife move her hands like she's using the shovel. The voice says, I'm calling from Shepard, the space flight company. Have you heard of us? Carlos says, no. The voice says, but you have been to space. Carlos says, when I served. The voice says, I'll get to the point. We're looking for astronauts. Carlos feels an uneasy ticklish sensation in his gut. He already has a job, a good job. Carlos and Janine ride in the car from the airport in Florida. The heat makes the road ahead look like it's melting. New automated construction can be seen in all directions. Construction workers routinely worked early mornings, took the afternoons off, and returned to work in the evenings. Do robot construction crews take the afternoons off? They probably work 24-7 until the job is done. Both passengers use their glasses to browse. Janine looks up local restaurants waving her hand in front of her to swipe pages. Carlos reads through his new employee benefits. Janine gasps and says, is that it? Carlos snaps his finger to switch to glasses only mode and looks out the window. He says, wow, I hope that's it. A bright blue rocket gleaming towers over the ocean horizon. He says, it's less than half the size of a mid-size rocket yet it can carry more. She says, because of the fuel. He says, yes, the lighter the fuel, the less fuel it takes to get it off the earth. Because the rocket is shorter than other rockets and just as wide, it looks extra wide. What's remarkable is the cargo and crew carrier on top counts for one-fourth of the entire rocket. It can carry up to six passengers. She says, are you scared? He says, I won't lie, it worries me. Two people strap him in. Then they climb out the hatch. The chamber has room for five more passengers, but he sits in the only chair currently installed. The hatch closes. He feels pressure on his ears as it seals. His heart pounds but then he waits, hearing reports of tests over the radio. Transfer to internal power. Complete. Abort system. Jettison motor. Armed. He ignores the beginnings of an urge to puke. Shutting his eyes, he tries to sleep. His eyes pop open. A louder voice than the others says Carlos. His heart gallops. As calmly as possible he says, yes. The voice says, we're going to launch soon. Carlos says Roger. Surely Janine still waits in the room with auditorium seating and a dome of windows. All engines running. Check. Ignition sequence start. Carlos feels that feeling like he had before being put to sleep for surgery. An awareness that his entire existence is wrapped up in something as fragile as an egg that would splatter if dropped. 16, 15, 
14, 13 a sound like a great furnace roars outside, the cabin shakes, he takes a deep breath and holds it, he can feel his pulse on both sides of his neck, as sweat soaks his chest, 8, 7, 6, 5 the shaking grows whiter and harder, than faster, vibrations make the inner cabin look blurry, lift off, a loud clap makes him swallow nothing and shut his eyes, the ship rises, slowly at first, the acceleration pushes him back into his seat, making it difficult to breathe, he opens his eyes, outside the window, the land and ocean sink away, the g-force compresses him more and more, he groans and forces himself to breathe, clouds pass the windows rapidly, then he sees the curved earth slowly tilting, the sky looks black above, feeling much calmer an hour later in orbit, he unbuckles his seat belts and floats up out of his seat. He unpins his helmet and pulls it off the wall. It's smaller than the one he used for Uncle Sam. Putting it over his head, he slides it into the ring built into his suit and closes the neck latches. AR infographs light up on the left and right of his visor. Small engines in his suit switch on. The fabric puffs out around his legs and arms. He uses handles attached to the walls to pull himself toward the top of the cabin. At the top, or now the front. He can look out the window at a satellite getting closer. He's headed toward a server satellite. Most internet traffic goes through satellites. Putting quantum computers and internet servers in space has many advantages. Computers make heat, and space is the best heatsink. Solar power is consistent above all the clouds. The threat of people trying to break in and tamper is greatly reduced. Quantum computers must run very cold, so putting them in space gets them a lot closer to operational temperatures. Quantum chips can be placed closer together in the cold environment of space. Carlos can see the hatch on the server satellite. It gets closer, closer. Jets on his ship momentarily blast to fine-tune his approach. The shadow of the satellite falls over the window he looks out of. His ship hits the satellite. He flies forward and hits the hatch. Locks slide into place. He turns around and closes the cabin side hatch. A light near the front hatch turns from red to green. He pulls a handle down and the air is sucked out of the loading bay. He opens the front hatch and then the satellite hatch. Pulling himself forward, he enters the satellite. He says, control. I need light in here. A femme voice says, there's a group of switches near your left hand. It's the last two switches. He flips them and a long corridor lights up. No floor. All four sides are server racks. The voice says, you're in the quantum section. You need to get to the end. Thousands and thousands of qubits are in superpositions in the cold of space. He pulls himself forward. It takes several minutes to get to the junction. Two space monkeys rest hanging onto the walls inside the junction. These are robots with arms for legs. They were made for space and would never operate well on Earth. She says, you want to take the one going up. He points with his arm and says, that way. She says, yes. He feels like he's pulling himself up, but with just a thought that he could be going sideways, his world flips, and now it seems like he's going sideways. He gives his head a good shake. She guides him to switch on some lights. He pulls himself down another four-walled tube of racks. He says, I see it. Ahead, a space monkey only half as large as Carlos floats its feet or back arms sticking out. He pulls himself forward for two minutes. One arm of the robot sticks inside an open rack. The rack cover floats nearby. He says, is it on? She says, if you want to make sure it's off open the top cover between its shoulders, you'll find an orange switch. Carlos pops open the plastic cover and switches it off. He switches on a glove-mounted flashlight and looks inside the rack. He says, you were right. It's stuck. She says, can you tell if it's damaged? He says, hold on. A long cartridge pins its arm to the side of the rack. Dozens of wires from the cartridge to the rack hold everything down. He pushes the robot forward and pushes the cartridge away from the arm. When the cartridge clears the arm, 
The robot moves when Carlos bumps it. Carlos pulls its arm out of the rack. A couple of voices cheer. Someone says he did it. Carlos says, I came a long way to unstick a robot. Thank you for listening. I will never run ads on this podcast. Please take the time to rate, review, and subscribe so that more future-minded people can find this show. My landing page is solomation.com. There, you can find the companion website to this podcast that includes a timeline and illustrations.